course, we have been very, very much uh, informed by the things that God has been speaking to us. This is our final session for the ministerial training, and then we'll go into the evening for the last evening rally before the Thanksgiving on Sunday. Now, during this session, we, why we'll be looking specifically into church project and finance, we'll also be looking at the summary of all what we have learned so that we can be very sure that our fingers are on top of the information. The Lord bless you as you join us. Now, what I want us to do is to teach you on church project and finance. I don't know whether I should take that first and then we go into our drill. I want every resident minister to make sure that you have something to tell me. All right? So if you have your writing pad or wherever you have been putting down things, I will ask you a question in line of that. Then we will look into a little bit of summary of what we have learned, which I will discuss that by question and answer dialogue. I really want to make sure you, you leave this place with some, some, some you, know, you know, very cogent things. Now, therefore, church and finance, I will take you through that very quick. I don't want to spend more than 15 minutes on this. Now, we understand from the beginning when we started this conference that the church of God, from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, is the, is the household of God, that is the household of the living God, and is the pillar and the foundation of truth. We understand, therefore, from what the church is, that if it is God's household, he takes care of his people. God takes care of his household. There is no father who will not make provision for his household. And that's all I agree. I've got your online delivery. Oh, great. Can you pop it in the kitchen? Shop online at iceland.co.uk and get the cod frozen brought straight to your door. There's Alaskan cod frozen straight from the sea. Vegetables often picked and frozen in hours of harvest. Authentic Italian gelato. Frozen pan of sugar and crusty white rolls. Butcher's market frozen meat. And a fantastic range of sheep inspired quality meals. And much more. And we'll deliver it all for free. We understand that. God cannot leave his house without a budget. And we also understand from all our lectures that through the people that he meets up with his budget. I love some things that, uh, well, I love everything that Dr. Stewart said. It's just like he took the things I've been teaching you, areas that I went through, legal principles. He took that area and showed you those things in the spiritual and the area that I went through, management principles, he went straight away and showed you from the scripture in analysis on the spiritual. One of the things that came out of what he was saying is this. If you do not have vision for today, you will starve tomorrow. He also said to you that you should always look inwardly. Because what will make your tomorrow is inside you. He said, turn your one pound to a million. All right? The little verse of oil to fill barrels. 
And all these principles he said, he spoke about the fact that <coughs> when you look at your members, always look at the potentials in them. There is always a potential in your members which God expects you to bring, to take that potentials and bring them to fulfillment. Now, your life and service to the little people God gave you is what will determine if God can, can give you responsibility of a lot of people. As much as you know that church growth, if you pray very well, you study the word, I will cover a little bit of that. And, you know, you do all these things to tell you as a minister. You put yourself in a position where God will bless you. But God will never give you more than what you can contain, or else it will be a waste. And this is the reason for all these theories. Now, when you talk about finances, projects in church can come by God's instruction. That's the first thing. We're going to look at the various ways by which a church can get into projects. Projects can be God's instructed. Like in the book of Exodus 35, from verse 4 to 36. If we look at that Exodus, we will discover how God spoke to Moses. But you see, when I was reading these scriptures, there are a few things that came to me very strongly. God spoke to Moses and told Moses to build a tabernacle. You are right. This is God's instructed project for the church. But when God was speaking to Moses, he said to Moses in verse 10, All who are skilled among you are to, to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. If you go further, 22 says, All who are willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earnings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as we've offered. What does this say? It precedes that whenever God gives a vision to a minister in your church, in your church already are people who are skilled to fulfill the vision. Alright? But among the skills in your church are people who are willing. You know, the people who are skilled and are willing are always in every church. And through these people, any God-sent project, it will be accomplished. Never invite a minister to your pulpit to come and help you respond in your church. It is ungodly. But if you look at the story of this um, Exodus 35, I want you to read everything. If you look at 25, verse 25, 35, verse 25, it says, Every skilled woman spawned with her hand and brought what she had. Spawned blue, purple, Scarlet, yarn of fine linen, and all the women who were willing and had the skill spawned the good hair 
willingness and skill. Now, the end of the story from chapter 36 tells us about why the people started bringing things and they started giving their skill. God intervened. You know, when you create atmosphere for God's people to demonstrate their love towards God in their giving, you will position them in a place where God can supernaturally visit them. Alright, because he started by saying, God said, don't take from people forcefully. Build me this tabernacle. I don't want to force anybody. No compulsion, no pressure. But tell them what you need. To tell your church what the church needs is not compelling them. Informing them. Alright, but to put pressure on them in any shape or form, Especially in our days that some people will come and they begin to lie on God that God told me that this X number of people will give this stuff and all that. Those things as a tax, they come from the pit of hell. Never come from God. Because God will never do anything against what he has said. But God then said, look, tell them what I need. Because God told Moses exactly what he needed. And then God said, there are two such categories of people. Skilled people are there. But then the skills who are willing are there. And he said, when you speak it, do not collect money or offering from anybody except those who are willing. Are we together now? Now, among those who are willing, when they started giving, then God moved. The Spirit of God came one day and visited Oholea Bezdeh. Alright, and then the transcendent power of God producing them other areas of skill not available but needed I will together now I can identify with this in Christ with Tabernacle London I can identify with it at the beginning we needed some skills for the main vision which was not for the time but when we started the first Two years of Christ in Tabernacle, the skill we had was capable to handle every area of project. We bought a building, we built it ourselves. God had prepared some of us who we were project managers and construction people and stuff. And we put all our brains together and we did it. So as to save the money, we gave our money and we gave our services. And then God took us to the second phase. The house we bought was just three story house. And then God took us to the second phase. And the second phase, after about a few years in this one, the second phase came up. We bought a warehouse. Okay? <clears throat> when we bought a warehouse, at that time, some of us have now got jobs within the UK in the area of architecture and engineering. And our knowledge has increased a lot. So by the time we got to the second phase, we have had, got increased knowledge because it's a bigger edifice. Okay, and we gave what we can, and then we give our skill. The moment we finish that, I can tell you this. A good number of us, God opened the floodgates, that people who were there began to excel in their career. Even some of them, there's one of them who got uh, um, four, four levels promotion, okay, in the government office, and some got three level promotion. This is how doors began to open and people began to excel. By the time we came to cathedral, 
the Spirit of God have performed what he did here. Ohuleas and Bezaliel have been raised before cathedral came in. So when cathedral came in, we just glide. Really, our vision is beyond the cathedral. Alright? But you must understand God's principle. God is not impressed by anybody's offering unless it is from a willing heart. Miracles will never happen by anybody who gave under compulsion. First Corinthians, uh, 7 Corinthians chapter 9, 8 and 9, you know, applies to that. So, if you look at Ohole and Bezalel chapter 36, and they have abilities to do everything. Verse 8 of chapter 6 says, All the skilled men among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains and the rest of them. All the skilled men among the workmen. We have got the skilled women, what they did, and the skilled men, what they did. And if you read further, the Bible says that they gave and gave and gave until Moses, in verse 6, then Moses gave an order. And they said the word, this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to, is to make anything else as an offering for sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Okay? Because, we, because what they had, we already had was more than enough to do the work. You know, let me say something to you. As ministers, you must achieve this. You must achieve it from the people you raised. You must achieve it. This very year, what I see God did is that God concentrated so much on us as ministers. Practical things that we ought to do to be able to bring the church to what the Bible says. And I believe that God will not do that if there is no greater promise ahead of us. It's because of what God is about to do with us. That God will prepare us for it. Your heart for the work must be according to the scripture. Alright? We cannot, none of you can afford to go on pastoring if your heart is not there. I will get it now. Because of what God wants to do. I see a season on earth that many people, their churches became empty and God raised new people who are nobody. Overnight, they turn into thousands. Thousands. And the Lord told me, is the heart. He will take the people to where shepherds are. And we shut down hirelings. So, you need to know this. That what God did to Moses, he was going to do. Whenever you have God-given project, you shouldn't struggle. But understand that people give from little... Okay? And then they give again. And understand, you must tell them detail of what is needed. And when a money also is given to us a particular project, if you divert it without the permission of the people, it is a sin and it is illegal. Because in finance and law, if we say we are raising money, public money, to buy the bottle. We cannot use that money to buy the water in it. It's called restricted fund. So if we buy bottles with it, and then we think that we, we need water in the bottle, we have to come back to the people and say, we have bought the bottle, and we have more money. 
and our intention is to put to buy water. Everybody will agree. Then you go and do it. If you don't do that, you have sinned. You will introduce the virus to yourself. At the same time, if you are caught by the law, it is criminal. How do you get it now? It's misappropriation of funds. So, that is the reason why when they give, <clears throat> they have, they told them what to give. The moment they exceeded what is required, you know, he went to them and said, no, we've got enough. Don't give anymore. That is what you must do as well. Don't say that where we have announced it, keep bringing it, keep bringing it, because you have some other alternative, alternative intentions. That is unrighteousness. <clears throat> he told them, stop. Let me say this. Is this true? Yes. Yes, in this house we have seen that severally. When we're going to buy this um, piano, I just came up and said that, look, I need grand piano here because I designed this platform for the grand piano and I designed that platform for the um, pipe organ which was taken away from this auditorium. Before this time next year, that one will be sitting there. Okay? And at the time that we wanted to buy this, we have just spent a lot of money renovating. Okay? So, will somebody say that, oh, it's not good to go and tell the people again because we just finished renovating? Can you stop giving your house? No, there's a time in your house you don't give food money anymore. Everybody will go what? Hungry. It is the house of God. We all have joint responsibility. We have not stopped receiving from God. And how can we stop giving to God? Alright? If you don't have problem as a minister that I will, oh, if I bless the people every day, I promise over their life, I, I should be very careful. I don't have to bless them because it is coming every day. So you cannot say to the people or to yourself that I can't keep on telling them about the need of the church because, you know, that could be, some people may not like that. It's not a matter of like. Anybody who can ask from God must also give to God. And you must let your people know that. It's simple. You give to God, you make your tomorrow better. You hoard his poverty. You saw when the doctor read this in the book of Proverbs. Okay. So, but when we collected the money and it was over, I told them that it's over. We bought the, the, key, the, that, these seats that you were sitting on, when we came in here, there was no chair at all, no seats on this floor. So it was 135 pounds or so for each chair. When they gave us the quote in China, I went to the church and told the church, one chair is 135 pounds. Come on now, we gave. And I told everyone that give, you must make sure you give a minimum of a chair. So students who didn't have bulk money to pay, they gave 20 pounds, they gave 50 pounds, they gave 20 pounds until they gave for a chair. Whereas those who have money come and some gave for two chairs, some gave for 10 chairs, and people were given according to what they can. <clears throat> people made pledges, paid what they can, and they paid comfortably until the pledges were redeemed. I was sit on the chair. And when the money was, was up, people still gave it. We told them that no, for chair, we don't need money anymore because we bought all the chairs. 
Now, we have other areas we need money, and we told them. This is the principle of the Bible. Every God-given project, God has ordained skilled people in the church, but among the skilled, he has ordained people whose hearts have been stirred up. And you must let the people know this. Anyone whose heart is not stirred up, it's just that he's not connected with God. That's simple. And what will happen to them, they remain in the church and see others excel. They will only be the one who will be hearing testimonies, while others are given testimonies of success. Because you will never get from God what you're not suing to God. Impossible. So, God's given project. The second one is inspired projects that are inspired by circumstances. Projects inspired by circumstances. Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. You all should know the story of Nehemiah, so I won't dwell on that any, any more longer. Nehemiah was well placed in Babylon and then suddenly he, had, he, he saw his brother and he said to his brother, look, how about the people at home? And he said, oh, home is terrible. Home is not good at all. And then he was sad. And then he, the sadness became obvious in his behavior. When he got to the king, while he was before the king, the king can pick up and inside that you are sad, Nehemiah. You, you are always a boisterous person. What, what is worrying you to the extent that it is changing your nature? We love that nature you have. What is going on? And Nehemiah said, how can I be in comfort? And my people are suffering. And that triggered favor. But let me say this to you. If you read the book of Nehemiah, even the projects that are inspired by circumstances, because it is a circumstance that brought Nehemiah to think, to, to, be, to be sad, and that triggered the favor of the king. But God was behind it. God is the one who created that circumstance. God was the one who inspired Nehemiah to ask from his brother. Because the time for prophetic to be manifested has come. Alright? And if you look at it, <clears throat> at the end of the day, the king gave everything they needed. And also he gave them the king's military protection against their foes, their enemies. You know? Give them protection. This is how that is. You, as a leader, may have a thought that will create a project. I want to show uh, the, you the project of this church when I finish this. I just want to show what we're going to be doing. It can come from your thinking because your heart as a minister is the people. Everything to bring the house to fulfillment. Everything to bring the people to success. To manifestation. That's all your brain is saturated with. Now, so in such thinking, thoughts will generate inside me. Don't you think that thought is not from God? It is from God. I would get that now. So, project can be inspired by circumstance. Circumstance can happen and it trigger a thought, trigger an action, and God will fund it. Number three, project can be prophetic. It can come by prophetic utterance. (coughs) 
prophetic utterance. It comes like we are having a meeting at chapter 13. Verse 1. In the church of Antioch, we are prophets and teachers. While they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, separate from me, Paul and Barnabas. Alright? That is prophetic. That is prophetic. But if you look at the book of Ezra, chapter 5, it says, now, verse 1, Hanani the prophet, and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. What was the prophecy? Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, and Jeshua, son of Jehoshaphat, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophet of God were with him, helping them. At that time, Catania, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shepta Bosnia, and their associates went to them and asked, Who authorized you to rebuild the temple and restore the structure? Now, what I wanted to get here is not the whole story, you know. You will always have a position whenever God inspires a project, of course, yeah. But what I want to first get is that it is the prophet who just said, how can you live in barren houses and the house of the Lord is in ruin? Thus saith the Lord, go to the, to the field and bring timber that the house of the Lord may be built. Now, based on that prophet, Zerubbabel got up and others and they built. So, God can give a project to the church by a prophetic. Alright? If it is born of God, it will overcome every opposition. Of course, I need to let you know this along we go. That every project of God, Satan will raise oppositions. If you look at that of Moses, many who were not moved by the Spirit, what do you call them? The opposition. Because it is possible that some of them will have said that how are we going to carry tabernacle in the, in, the, in the wilderness? I mean, you want to build a big building. How will it be, how will it be transported? And all stuff like that. You will always have people who will be opposite. Within and without. If you look at the Nehemiah story, when they came back, you know, one of the Jews opposed, and some of the Jews opposed. Shembalag and Tobit. Alright. Sembalak and Tobit, they opposed. One was Oronia, the other one was a Jew. So, prophetic, no, project can come through prophetic utterance. And the last one is, you know, missionary project. I spoke a little bit about that, Acts chapter 3, verse 13. Missionary project, you can decide to go on a mission. It's your decision. But Holy Spirit can also lead you into a mission. If you look at the first missionary journey, it came by prophetic. But the second missionary journey came by decision. Third missionary journey came by decision. And the fourth missionary journey, it came by decision. Let's go and visit them. Or you set up agenda in this year, we're going to do this program, we're going to do this project, we're going to do this and that and that and that. But any project you set your heart to achieve, alright, God has raised men under you who will make it happen. Okay? 
Now, can I make a distinction in this? The distinction is that we must not be reckless in thoughts. It's not just a matter of picking, somebody is doing something somewhere, let me do it to you. No, you must hear God in your spirit at all times when you take the church to project. Because if you take the church into a project that God did not inspire, you'll be disgraced. Jesus said it. And you remember the principles that we have been teaching you since the beginning? No one built a tower without first sitting down and counting the cost. Because some vision God will give you may not be for now. Let, you know, make, make the vision plain and write on the tablet. He says, do it, tarries. Wait for it, it shall not tarry. And he says, but the vision speaks of unexpected end. So, some vision God has given to you. You have revelation and vision. You have to sit down to really know and understand, is it for now, is it for the future? So, if it is for now, you move. If it is for the future, you start to gather the people. Let me tell you something. This building that we are in at the cathedral, it took us 15 years to buy it. 15 years, really more than 15 years. I think uh, Pastor Matthew Ashimolo, you know, was aware of this. When God, um, we started thinking of buying a big auditorium that would say 3,000 from 1995. All right, 94. And at that time, they gave us a property in um, Lewisham. And I, we found that property in Lewisham. And in 95, I had a chat with Pastor Matthew, you know, and he, he, he and, and together he came down and prayed over it. Uh, Bishop Wadoke also visited and said, look, this is what God is giving me. We went to that building, we lay hands on it. Uh, Apostle Tom, Tom, Ulysses Tom came, I told him, a prophet Robin Nanko, I told them they went there. We lay hands on that building. That building is still there today. And they promised everything. You know, that is about now, um, 20 years ago this year. We, we, we went, claimed it and all stuff like that. And then after all those things, everybody celebrated it. Suddenly, the politicians took it from us and they gave it to a company that manufactures bicycles. And I have to tell everyone again that, look, this is what has happened to the prophetic building. Are you together? So, we kept on praying. We need a church that will see 3,000. At that time, we were just about 750. 96. We will need a church, oh, wait, we're about 900. So, we need a church that will see 3,000. Then, we went and we spoke to Montgomery, Mr. Montgomery, who was the chief executive of Lewisham Council. We found the place where you have Tesco's by New Cross Station. Okay. When we missed that building, we went to the council. They took us to Montgomery. Montgomery said, okay, bring for me all the plants you have in this area. Yeah, the Sainsbury. He said, bring for me all the plants you have in this area. He said, there is a land by Sainsbury. I will give that to you. When they brought the plant to Montgomery, they now said, oh, they just sold it to Sainsbury last week. He was paralyzed. Because, as for him, having discussed the vision with him, he wanted to help and make it happen. And that, standing on that ground today is Sainsbury. It's about five or ten acres. Now, then our journey continues. Our journey continues. Understand, I told you, because I know that we will buy a big property from the day this church started. Our offering, all of them, we save it. We don't spend it. 
At the time I was telling you, we have accumulated close to a million in our offering. In our own reserve. And how these were not so nonsensical like today that one plot of land is almost a million in London. Because when God gives you a vision, you must act upon it. You cannot expect to build a huge church and you don't have a pulse where you are putting your little um, drops of water and you think when you get the big money you will get a miracle you may not because you have not shown you know um, yeah you have not shown uh, diligence before God I would get that you know for Elijah Elisha to be able to bless the woman must have a little verse that is the divine principle so we lost that and then we moved again <clears throat> And then we found a property down the road here, along Alfred's Way. And that property is five acres. I wish I would bring you, I, if I knew I was going to talk to you about this, I brought you the plan. I went into uh, looking for theater, and I found a, a theater in California, magnificent theater. I downloaded the plan and called Pastor Tyler that this is what we're going to build on that ground. We went to the place. It is a, a warehouse that will seat 10,000 people. You know, it's five acres, but it's not as beautiful as here. It's just a box. If you come to my office in New Cross, as you enter my office, you will see the plant till today. It's on the left. I stuck it on the wall. <clears throat> and we started all this. We were on that building for two years. Eventually, they said they would not give planning permission to build a church there or what we want to do. This, we didn't understand. God was telling us that I'm moving you into Woolwich. Because it's just down the road in Woolwich here. That was 1998 or 99. Then we came to an era where the person, we saw an agent who was looking for property for us. Desperately, he found the bingo hall in the, in the Camberwell. When he told me that it was still 1,200, I said, we don't want it. Don't just talk about that. Now we have redeemed there. Adelike is there. He got the building for us in the, um, uh, where, where, where Bishop um, Francis is. I said, it is too far. I know the jurisdiction God sent me. Now Bishop Francis bought that. He got us a few other, other properties. When they get the property, I said, no, this is not either it is out of the location or it is less than the expectation until this property came. When this property came, we have deposited in our account well and above what is needed to purchase this property. We don't need to raise funds to buy it. And we did not raise funds to buy this property. We raised funds to renovate it. I'm talking about the project. We learn a lot when we read all these things in the Bible. If we can just follow the principles of this scripture, our life will be easier. Our waiting will be rewarding. There is no vision you have that God has not brought people out of you who will fulfill the vision. The joy of a minister is that the Lord called me and out of my calling, people are blessed, and out of their blessing, our vision is fulfilled. 
There is no joy a minister will have more than that. Well, your money is in the mouth of your fish. Matthew 17, 24, and 27. Because um, we're almost finishing now. Your money is in the mouth of the fish. Jesus spoke about the fish when they came to ask him for tax. He said to um, Peter, go to the river and cut the fish, but don't kill this one. He said he will bring you the money required. Take the money and let the fish go back into the pool. What many ministers do today is that they kill all the fish that should produce money in their church. Because if they know that somebody has a little, they will strangulate him and skin him alive and bankrupt him. So when you bankrupt that source, that source does not have opportunity to even breathe. You, you incarcerate your finance in the future. I will be together now. So Jesus taught us a great principle there. In closing, I will say to you, the key to having a strong and healthy and vibrant church is to disciple every member. If you can disciple every member. To disciple means to make a replica of yourself who will be a replica of Christ himself. That is what disciple means. Mirror image of the original. Now, let me run through different types of giving in the church. Number one, giving is an act of grace. 1 Corinthians 8.6 Number two, the secret of a good giver is discipleship. Corinthians 8, verse 5. Number 3. Given is a proof of sincere love for God. Corinthians 8, verse 8. Number 4. Given must be according to your means. These you may call principles of giving. Never possible to give anytime they forced to give, God will not receive it. Let me say something to you also, minister. Don't be afraid or be worried about people who don't give in your church. Alright? They will only live to see others testify when they will have no testimony. You know, God knows how to frustrate those who hoard. Even when God will bring a common big blessing to the church, God will make sure they are not there when they will distribute it. Yes, that's what God does. I've seen that at my ceremony. They will be helping themselves. They will never help the stingy man. Alright? They will never. Because a person who does not give, God calls him a thief. And he says, will a man rob God? As it was in the beginning, so it is now. There are people in church who don't tie. Even in leadership, you may have some leadership who don't tie. Though, what, what my own principle is that if I look at the leadership record, it doesn't tie, I remove him. Because if a leadership does not tithe, he has no right to lead those who tithe. That's a fact. If a leader does not tithe, now you are a thief because the tithe of other people will use it to buy all the stuff in church and maintain the church. And you are using facility without contributing. That's a thief. I would get that. But people like that too, when others have been promoted, they will be demoted. 
and suddenly they could fire them. They become a burden. But you must be very, very much careful, you ministers, that somebody who is suffering because of his contravention of God, you don't give him help in the area of God's dealing with him. Okay? Let him be dealt with very well. Don't give him money if God is punishing him for, for his stinginess. Give him prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you have, your money is slowing down, just give him prayer. Because God wanted to, 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 to bring him to repentance. And if you are financially helping him, you are hindering God. And so what will God do? He will just take one of the cane and smack your hand. And that may be very disastrous for your own finance for a while. It will destabilize you. So that if you don't have, you won't be able to do that. Because you are supposed to learn from God. Okay? God is straight, is a straight God. I wouldn't get that now. So, understand. I gave you the sixth point. This, the, uh, okay, the four points here. Yeah, the fifth point. Not all giving is acceptable to God. The people must be willing. I said that to you. They must not be compelled or forced. And number six. You must not oppose Sorry, you must not oppress one to relieve others. Like, you know, I wouldn't come to your own church when I know you don't have access and take what you have, which is meant for some project, and go and give it to another church who is saying they have a need. You must not oppress one to relieve the other. Okay? If a parish or a minister tells me that he's having a financial problem, my first response is not to give him money even if I have billions. My first response is to give him, to tell him to account to me what, how he landed there. Because if he landed there because of what we are teaching you, he doesn't do it. Because of his quandamene. Give him a billion, come back to him in a month, all has gone to drain. Anyone who cannot manage little money and live within his means, if you give him millions, he will blow it. Because to be able to manage millions, you must be able to show prudence that you can manage hundred. I will get that. You know, a good number of people who have need financially will just run into it. That's not how Jesus did it. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Those who are unable, he helps. Not those who are able but refuse to use the ability. I would gather now. He would rather teach them a lesson so that they would come out with use of ability. Now, the last thing is you must help enhance your members' finances. You must help to enhance your members' finances. Under that, I have three areas. Number one, Second Kings chapter four, verse one to seven. That is enhancing members' finances through prophetic. Enhancing members' finances through prophetic, and that is the widow. When Elisha asked, "What do you have?" she said, "I have nothing but a little." Know the little that each of your member has and encourage by prophetic 
so that they can get increase. I will together now prophesy into that leader and it will become plenty. The second thing is you can enhance your members' uh, finances through prophetic direction. First Kings 17, 7 to 16. That is Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Alright? It began by God giving a prophetic revelation. Alright? But Elijah, God gave Elijah, told Elijah, go to Zarephath. I prepare the widow. When Elijah got to the widow and the widow did not have, the widow said, I don't, I haven't heard from God really and I have the last to feed. Elijah said, do my own first, for thus saith the Lord. Okay? He gave a direction to the woman. It's prophetic utterance, but it's a direction. Now look, you need to give to us what God is saying because the Lord shall do this for you. And God honors it. And the last one is through the ministry of signs and wonders. You can enhance the finance of your member through ministry of signs and wonders. You know, sometimes it is necessary for some people to teach people on the reason why they should give. So that they have knowledge of why they should give. Anytime you have to do a given, why and what should be distinctly spelt out so that the people know why they give. Teach your people about tithing and teach them about various offerings. Okay? So that when they are given to us, they know what they are given to us. At the same time, they know why they are given. So that when they give, they give from a convincing heart that this is of the Lord and to the Lord. And then you see manifestation. And the last one is through signs and wonders. Acts chapter 40, chapter 4, verse 32. If we look at the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possession was his own, but they shared everything they had in common. Then verse 33 says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them. The ministry of signs and wonders invoked grace upon the church. I think during this period that we are looking at the life of the apostles, yeah, that is it. God has emphatically spoke about this. When you testify with power, miracles, signs, and wonders will happen. We know that miracles and signs and wonders, science is for those who are outside, not for those who are inside. Okay? Miracles is for the believers, science is for the unbelievers. Because you don't need a sign to tell you about God. You know Jesus already. But God can perform miracles in your life. But when God does signs and wonders, He's to convince those outside, like calling fire to come down from heaven, you know, signs, that signs and wonders, like Jesus walking on the roof, on the sea and stuff. Signs and wonders is for the people out there to believe. But for those inside is the miraculous that they see. Okay? Now, when you preach 
the resurrection of Christ and you put Jesus, centered on Jesus, the Lord will confirm your word with signs and wonders. And when signs and wonders are performed, much grace come upon the people. And you will give back to a church where everybody manifests in the grace of heaven. I will together now. And this is all I have to give you on church project and finance. Now this under the last topic we treated, raising a healthy church. Okay, now shall I just ask answer your questions? How many of you have questions you wanted to ask? I have one here. Any other person? Okay, Pastor Billy, can you stand up and ask your question? Face the camera so that uh, you know, stand here, please, so that uh, you can record it. So over the the few the first few days of the convention, there is a concept that you mentioned about separating someone from their conduct. Separating someone um, from their conduct. From their conduct. From their conduct. Yes. From their conduct. Um, I will. I want you to shed more light on how to do it in terms of managing some type of behaviors. That, do we overlook at some of the uh, characters that are not uh, constructive in the church um, because of these kind of, uh, this concept, sorry, and so on? Right. Let, what Pastor uh, is asking about is that I think when, what he was asking about is that I taught you how that you must be able to separate people from a bad conduct and the person himself. Because that came out from the scripture when we read the book of Second Timothy chapter 2. It says, verse 20, verse 20 and 21, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, and some for ignoble. So I, I told you that you have three categories of ignobility. The most ignoble, the more ignoble, and just the ignoble. And the borderline of that translates into the nobles. And I told you that people will come to your church who are very most ignoble. They were not, born, they were not brought up in a good family. Parents are bankrupt in character and morals. So they never have privilege of being taught morals at all. They get born again, they come to church. Everything they snap, but they are born again. Every positive thing people say, they say opposite. Because that's the environment they grew up. Environment where the father and the mother quarrel all the time, disagree all the time, is hot, 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 hot from their back until the time they got saved. So character bankrupt. And you have other people who are born in a place where their mother will always lie. Tell that person, okay, I'm not in. Okay, so they, they were trained to lie to people. When mommy is in, we say, tell them I'm not in. Or, you know, stuff like that. So they come to church. They are born again. But they still lie. And all and on and on and on. So, what do you do to people like that? Do you just cut them out of church? No. Because you have been told. In the house of God are strong and, and wood and clay, ignobles. People that will, you know, when you are make, when you're having service, you have told all the nursing mothers, please, this is the room for you. They will bring their child into the church so that their child can cry. <laughs> Alright? And make noise when you are recording a live program on the whole world. <clears throat> are you with me now? 
Things like that I need to get you upset and get you angry. Especially the ushers who didn't even handle them when they should handle, help them when they should help them. You have all that in church. Many characters and behaviors, functions that will just upset you completely and upset you. But if you do not have the knowledge that you have the nobles and the ignobles, and I taught you something that recognize that where you got it today, where I got it today, is by grace. So if you put it behind your mind that look, I am what I am today, not because I'm excellent, but it's because by grace. And it took God time to bring me a new here. And God was patient with us. He didn't cast us out and destroy what we didn't understand. So you as a minister, therefore, if you learn how to separate the saint, the man, from his conduct, okay, which means you cannot hate a man for bad behavior in church. You can rebuke him and set a program to rehabilitate him, to make him rethink. And the Bible went for that to say to those weaker ones, spend more time. To the matured one, leave them alone. But to those that you know they are weaker, the Bible commands is a minister to spend more time. I will together now. So that is separating the conduct from. Let me say, every one of you have been doing that anyway. You know, when you have friends, there are some friends that, you know, they offend you, but, you know, it doesn't stop friendship. You iron it out and carry on. Those of you who are married, how many times does your wife say no to you or your husband say no or she does something you don't really like at your wife? Why didn't you send them out of your roof? You accommodate them. What you have done in those instances is that you have separated the conduct from the, the, um, the uh, person. Bring that sin to church. Because church is not your blood child or not your wife or your husband. doesn't mean that when people misbehave in church, you label them as, as Judas. Judas died and he did not resurrect. So in church of God, there is no such a thing as Judas. They don't exist. They could be ignoble, but they are still born again. Do you know that because somebody did something that offended you so much, doesn't mean that he will go to hell. I would mean that. Because that character is not what makes him safe or bad, good behavior. It was by grace we are saved. Okay? So, you must understand that God is working on those guys. And the people God is working on, if you keep them out of church, can you go to God and say you are still working for God? It's just not possible. You cannot contradict your destiny. Because that guy that was so ignoble today, probably in the next five years, will be the best of all your members. Maybe he's going to be the richest in your congregation in ten years' time. If you kick him out now, and in ten years' time, God will give you a project that you will leave what God gave you. Okay, but we kicked him out already 10 years ago. And the guy now went and he came back. And of course, when you kicked him out, he learned more lessons. And then he began to behave himself by kicking him out. Okay, you will have rebuked him and let him stay. So that he can learn from what he's done. Okay, in the house and become what God ordains him to be in the house, which will now help your vision. So separate the man from the corner. What I've said to you may look very... Hard, but it is easy because you are already doing it. To those, you just believe that when you are inseparable. So when you come to church, you also carry that to your church that all your members and you, you are one, you are inseparable. You are members of the household of the living God. Yes, love. Yes. Okay.
I think uh, I, I will control this section for uh, another 10 minutes. My quarter pass will be stopped. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much, sir, for the impartation since Monday. We really, yes. we really appreciate you and love you, Daddy. Sir, the question I have, I believe, is for the single ones, and for, the for, body of, for the single ones and for the body of Christ. I noticed recently on my commute to work in the city that there's an advert uh, on the tube, like they call it Christian Connect, and they say all you need is a little faith. All like, you need? It's a little faith. So it's like uh, a dating website for Christians to get married. So, sir, should Christian singles use such website for their no. partners? No. You see, let me say something to you. If you marry by website, you will end by website. I just finished. I just finished this week. Really interesting enough, in my, in my NLM program, the project I submitted on Wednesday is international conflict of law an international law concerning website, web, internet operation, the law of internet operation. Alright? And this question you asked me is interesting. Because if people, let me say this is, an internet provider in England puts an advert for dating website. A witch in America saw it. And he wrote there, Reverend Alfred William. He's from Casadega. Because in Casadega, which has, um, you know, um, uh, a place, they are, they are, they are, witches are called Reverend, Pastor, Apostle, Bishop, Evangelist. If you go to their website, that's what you will first see. The introduction, uh, right Reverend, this and this is a witch, of course, but they won't say it's a witch. Uh, uh, Reverend, uh, Mrs. Da 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 da. Now, so somebody who is looking for a man of God saw it. And he connected with the witch. And the witch saw that this is a real Christian. He would just accept him immediately because that would be a convert to witchcraft. And then they signed a contract on the website and then they came in and they married. When they now break that contract, who do they sue for breach? Who do they sue for breach of contract? That's what I just did last week. Internet dating is a devil. How did if, uh, Adam got his wife. By God. By God. We just finished my statement. I think I'll go to the internet and help people understand this. That internet, an ISP or ISSP is not responsible for any, any uh, malicious damage or any whatever that comes to you. So if you go to the internet to look for a husband, well, you will find internet husband and uh, your, your marriage will end by internet. If the contract was signed through internet, it could be revoked by internet. So simple. And Christians need to know that you don't just go and get people on face value and say you marry them. What is pushing you that you are, you are crazy looking for just anybody to marry? You get into it as a Christian, you die in it. If you marry a witch, you will die in that witch house. It's a life contract. So Christians should, should desist from things like that. And I want to say this to you. A lot of Satanists are using Christian websites to get Christian girls. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. In the last session, you now which you've just finished, you mentioned about the issue of those who pay tight and that there could be someone who is not paying tight. That there could be someone who is not paying tight that maybe God is dealing with that you don't continue to help so that God will not kill you. And because I don't... Yeah. So, what are the symptoms or signs to really look for to know if such person is going through such, so that one could be very careful, so that it doesn't cause 
another thing on you as a minister. Yeah, it's just that if somebody is always, you know, let's say somebody is qualified and he got a job, okay, and then every church must have record of those who tithe. You know that. If you don't have record of those who tithe, then you are not obeying the laws of God. You need to know that. Because when they brought their tithe, they brought it to the priest. And the priest knows them by name and family. Okay? Of course, now system in England, if you don't keep record of those who give, they will sue you if they demand for their record. You have a duty to give them the record of what they had given to you. Okay. So, having said that, you will just discover that their finances begin to go down. They could be sacked, they could be very qualified, they could never get a job. No matter how much you fast and pray for them, nothing works for them. Or, today, a tragedy strike. They lose everything. They recoup again, another tragedy strike. They lose everything. Anytime they gather, it says, I will what? Blow it away from them. Those are the scriptures and those are the, the, the ways where you can know them. But you have to check your record of your members. You know, I, I've left that undone. You know, because the treasurer and the secretary are allowed to do that. But I've always said to my leader that I'm going to be checking it myself. And I think after this, I, I, uh, this week, next week, it should be my holiday, holiday to check. <laughs> So that we can help. Because man, if people don't tie, I call them in, you, you call them and ask them, why are you doing this? Show them in the Bible. You got to tie. You got to tie. If you don't tie, then you make yourself vulnerable. And we don't want anybody to be vulnerable because Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 11 said, when he told him that, you know, <clears throat> they were asking him about tithing uh, and taxing, he says to them that, well, you need to tax. Pay Caesar what belongs to Caesar and what God belongs to God. But you need to type also <clears throat> because it's the destruction of God. So that is what, you know, how that is dealt with. But you know, when people are, two people that I don't give money, according to the scripture, you don't give them money. People who deliberately make themselves bankrupt and poor, not bankrupt, and poor. They have, <coughs> they have skills. They have hand, alright? They refuse to work and go to collect dough. They should live by the dough. You got a job for a person in your church, in one job you got him, they sacked him. You got him another job, they sacked him. Ask why he slept in this job. They sacked him. You got him another job, he went there and he slept. They sacked him. Then why should you give him money? You are not supposed to give him money because you will not help him. Money is not a solution to every attitude. Some people need to be disciplined. And discipline can come by pain, no pain, no gain. And that's the position. You know, people you need to counsel, you don't give money. People you need to give money, you don't counsel. The Bible says that any man who... Uh, any man who refuses to work, okay... She be treated like an imbecile. Any man who 
refused to provide for his family. He's not any man who could not. Any man who do not. Which is, he has the capacity, but he refused to. Because he's, um, you know, a lazy man or a layback man. The Bible says, even call him a noble man. And have nothing to do with it. Don't eat with him. Okay, so you must separate between people who are incapacitated because they could not. These ones need help. To so those people who could, but they just want to play prank and, and use everybody's, um, you know, play on the intelligence of other people. And people like them, they save their money. You read from, you read from, you read from, you do keep it. You who give them money, you will discover for some years they have more money than you. <laughs> and you know, you who is giving them thinking that they are bankrupt. So that is the position. Not people who could not, but people who decide not to. The last question. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Apostle, you talked about uh, the breaking of the bread. Breaking bread. Yes. You know. So, uh, is it, uh, is it uh, right to uh, uh, allow the children to join the, the Holy Communion? Yeah, in the breaking of bread. Oh, yes. Breaking of bread is for who? Yeah. Like, uh, Those who have, been, who have given their life to Christ, isn't it? That's, that's so. In our country, that people, uh, like the Christians, they, they don't allow the children to participate in the breaking of the bread. They what? In the Holy Communion. Yeah. They don't allow the children to, to participate in the Holy Communion. The law. They don't. The children don't. Uh, they don't. Oh, yes, yes, yes. In my country too, they don't. Where I was born. But the fact is that when I looked at the Bible, the question is, the church has some laws they made. Because those who made those laws are clergymen who just wanted to create classism. Okay? And try to create things around clergy for respect. Instead of clergy to earn their respect by obedience to God. And not only that, there are many rules that were given. Now, this is the question. Who is entitled to break bread? Yes, let's talk about it. Everyone who born is again. born again. Is that also? Jesus said to those who accepted him, do this in remembrance of me. What did he say about the little children? Let the little children come on to me. So if Jesus said, let the little children come on to me, and then I deprive them from participating in what he commanded them to do. Is that, is that rational? Come on now, let's talk. It does no sense. Jesus said that, let these little children come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus was in this church and little children are here, will he give them communion? Yes, he will. Because he already said, let them come to me. Even to Jesus Christ, they are better than some of us. The extent that Jesus told us, who are my children, unless you become like these children. So the one that Jesus exalted, we are not depriving him from taking bread. I mean, can you see now? That is not right. By biblical fact, it's not right. Breaking of bread for those who are born again. Every minister must make sure they get their children saved. Don't just let them go to, to Sunday school. If any child joins Sunday school, the first thing they should check that child is that, are you born again? All Sunday school teachers. And write their leader child to Christ. So, children are not... Even, you know, breaking of bread as in the culture. <clears throat> they do it after peace. They will come to church and eat together. 
That's why in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, wait for one another. Don't just rush the food up, you know, before others come, you're finished. Wait, let everybody come. I know that is children and adults. <coughs> and if you look at the origin of Passover, which is breaking of bread, the Bible commanded Moses in the book of Exodus, I think it's um, chapter 11 or so, that look, you and every family lock yourself in the door and the whole family should conduct it. The whole family should conduct it. Okay? So if God commanded originally for the whole family, how could the church exclude children? So that's not correct. A second question. Yes. Uh, uh, and, uh, if suppose in the church uh, some families rebelling against uh, the pastor and uh, some of the church members and uh, they are speaking all nonsense like they are, it is not right to speak. Uh, they don't have any base of their, what they are saying. Speaking there. Yeah. So they are speaking against the pastor. Oh, speaking against Pastor. Pastor, yes. And speaking, uh, targeting some other families, uh, those who have their, uh, some problems before. So, is it uh, right for pastor, elder, to go and talk to these families, those who are just making mess up with other family members and trying to spoil the, uh, the church uh, atmosphere? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you, you can see that, Pastor. Now, let me repeat what you have said. That's, there are some people in church and they are, you know, you know, talking, 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 and you know, trying to blackmail some people and cause division and confusion in church. Now, what I did not discuss with you in this convention is conflict and conflict resolution. The answer to that is the book of Jude. If you read the book of Jude, it's just one chapter, verse 7, verse 11, verse 14, and the end of it, it tells you what to do. You need to teach your people about rebellion in church. Church needs to know things about rebellion. And anybody who rebels, God never forgives them. They will be punished, even if they repent. I repeat myself. You know, when you commit some blunders before God, those areas of blunders that God has predetermined consequences, God's principle, you do it, you trigger the retribute. God won't stop it. Then when you repent, God can shorten the time of punishment. And you saw that yesterday, two days ago, when we looked at the book of Second Chronicles, uh, Second, Second uh, uh, First Chronicles 21, with David, when David went to count God's people, when God had said, don't do that, and then he went ahead, and then the angel of God came and destroyed, and David went and begged and begged, and the prophet said, choose one. <laughs> you want to follow the hands of your enemy? Or... But the angel destroyed them, and also we looked at it in the book of Numbers 25. In Numbers 22 and 23, Balaam could not curse Israel. But in Numbers 25, we discovered that Israel, the Midianite women, went to the midst of Israel and they lured their men into adultery, okay, and from there lured them to idol worshipping. And we discovered in chapter 31 of Numbers that it was the same Balaam 
who could not overcome Israel, who went back to his country and divinated from Lucifer to know how can we destroy Israel. And Lucifer said, send the Moabite girls. Let them go and deceive them. And so, we recognize therefore that when the Moabite girls came and deceived Israel, Israel that could not be cursed because God had blessed them, God destroyed 25,000 people, 27,000 in one day. Of them. Look, till today, let me tell you this. I have many, many testimonies to tell you. As I am so, and you are so, because we are anointed, somebody aggravated us in the public, and before we thought twice, we punched him, and he was bleeding. Will anointing or prayer of God stop you from going to jail? No, you must go to that jail by God's grace. Are we together now? <laughs> you go by God's grace. The same thing. If <laughs> you go by God's grace. But God may now shut in this, this sentence when you start praying and begging for mercy. Are we together now? There are many other things that we can get involved with. You do those things, it's time you are punished. You do this, you contact it. Alright, even there are some mistakes that we do and it brings punishment. Because they are principle, but when we are in the punishment, if we cry for mercy, the Lord may reduce the distance, the time period, and then heal us. Do you get it now? So when somebody rebels in church, you must isolate them. That is, call them and confront them, not on the pulpit. Okay. Because I, rebellion sometimes is just within a sect of people. Okay? If you don't isolate it so that you bring those sects and confront them and deal with them, show them the punishment in the Bible. The book of Jude. You read the book of Jude to anybody who is rebellious. It's either he will repent or he wants to go to hell. Yes. Yes, say that again so that people can hear you. Like uh, you told us two days before, that a person has made up mind to go wrong. Yes. And uh, if I go behind him and ask him to come in the right way, because no, he has no, made no. up mind. No, if you are talking about people who have left now, yeah. are you talking about people who have left the church? Yeah, yeah, rebellious people, those okay. who are. If they have left the church, you leave them. Yeah, they are but within the church. Now they are. If they are still in the church, yes, yes, they yes. haven't left, <coughs> they haven't made up their mind. Yes. <coughs> you cannot say... Oh, they are not coming to church. They stop coming to church. Yeah, they are of our church. And they stop coming to church. They are not since two, three weeks, they are not coming to church. So if they are not coming to church, don't worry. All right. Don't worry. But you see, this is the procedure that should have been. If somebody is involved in a rebellion, yes. deal with it immediately. Don't leave it and be looking at them for a time because it spread like gangrene. If you read the book of Jude, it tells you. So if I hear a rebellion by anybody or somebody acted and I see this and I rebellion, I will confront that person straight away. Take him outside and deal with it. So that you deal with that person with leadership. That look, this is not acceptable here. This is the scripture. If the person now refuses to accept that, then that person has made up his mind. People like that will leave. When they leave, don't ask for them. Jays and Jambas. Philetus of people. 
You know, Paul was so, so devastated that he, he said that God, I, I give them to you to deal with. So people like that, if they leave, leave them alone. You don't have to worry. A shepherd will look for every sheep. But if somebody stops coming to church and you ask him, oh, how are you? We haven't seen you. And he said, he said, complain about the church. Just be quiet. Don't defend the church. Just say, ah, God bless you. That's the end of the story. Don't phone him again. Because the Bible says with such people don't even eat. Okay? But this is the problem many ministers face. When people are, you know, exhibiting some strict behavior, you'll be watching, you'll be looking at them. Instead of you to deal with it, you won't talk. Then the behavior gangrene, 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 gangrene before you now talk. Before you know it, the innocent who are ignoble will have been deceived into rebellion. You know, when I was teaching you about in this week, I said, when there is rebellion, there are two people involved. There are the ringleaders who made up their mind to follow the devil's cause. But majority around them are influenced. And I told you, you must separate those who are influenced from those who are really, you know, the catalyst. So that you don't throw the child away with the bad water. You get it now. So for those people who are the ringleader, what always happens is that God always isolates them. Because you know, this is church family, God's family. As they are having pain, God is having pain. God is working them out. Let me end up by telling you this. Very recently, you know, sometime ago before we moved into this building, when, when we were going to buy cathedral, this church went through another storm. We have gone through several storms. You know what happened? And this will shock you. Some people I never knew. They were telling other members that, do you think you are going to buy any building? Apostle lied, he lied to you. Can you imagine that? If somebody is not afraid to say a thing like that, I don't know what you'd be afraid of. When a child of, of uh, eight or nine in the church had a vision, at that time, we have not told the church, the whole church, where this building is. And that child came up and described this building that she saw. She described it with this roundabout and the ferry, the child talked about ferry, he says in the roundabout. And the church said that, the child said, Jesus showed me there is a church opposite you. And Jesus said, the owner of the church is your son. That child said it in the church. I think she's eight or nine. She said, she said, Jesus appeared to me and showed me that church apostle is talking about. And there is a roundabout there. Uh, on the side there is a ferry. And opposite that church is another church. And Jesus told me that the church opposite is the son of apostle. The church had not known where. So after that child said that, to the whole church publicly, I now said to the church that this is where the building is. Really, it is true. And uh, we paid 82,000 pounds as a deposit. But because the people we paid, you know, we thought a month, two months, they would finish. They just, one month, two months, one year, they just told us that they are, they, are, they are no more giving it to us. And some people in the church, a few of them, came up and began to say all manners of things. But you know, when it came to me, my knowledge, you know, I called those people away and dealt them. One of them was the leader of the choir. And she had maligned the choir, destabilized the choir, totally disarrayed the choir. You know what I did? I called her and her husband, dealt with that issue, 
warned her strongly. But the Lord had told me not to send anybody out of church. Okay? What happened therefore was that she now decided to be absconding. She won't come to service. The moment I saw that she didn't come to service, you know what I did? A counter coup. <laughs> I went to the choir and I had a meeting in the choir and I began to teach. I opened the Bible to show them about rebellion and the consequence. I now appointed young men and women who I raised myself from this church. Alright, you know, they are me. And now replace their role with these young folks. Six months they didn't come to church. Somebody who didn't come to church for six months the choir leader. So, does he expect that the church will collapse? Okay? When that person now came to church, she now wanted to go and take her position. That young man said, sorry, you can't come up here. And that destroyed totally, devastated her. He called that young man and said, you? He said, by apostle's order. <laughs> you know? He said, by apostle's order. So, but while we were in New Cross and they, all this stuff went on, I called them. Church didn't know about it. Even most of my leaders did not. Put them in my room and really dealt with their case. And other people in the choir who have followed her, her venom, Jezebel's venom, like in the book of Revelation 2, I called each one of them and warned them. But let me say this to you. When we remove, before we now move into here, she left and all those people in the choir left. So I was very happy. I quickly what? Shut the door and I use, um, no, no, not padlock. They can break padlock. I use uh, this, this fire, but they use fire. I smelted the door so that there is no more door in that place to come in. <laughs> and I stood guard by that door. And I took over the choir myself and heard of the choir. No one joins you. No one goes out of here except by my permission. Period. If anybody comes who have not, you haven't seen at all. If you don't see someone for one, one week, if he wants to come by, let him come to Apostle. And they do the line. And I pointed those guys, they are taking care of it. That was when this choir pushed it up. Rebellion. If you don't have wisdom of God, Satan will destroy your joy through one or two dissidents who are rebellious. And I've had issues whereby some people will hear some news and, you know, somebody who has been there before will just come and ask a question. And from the question you recognize that, ah, who contaminated it? Well, I will not let them go. I will answer them by a question that will help them know who is in charge. I will get it now. I am the one in charge here. Did you hear that from my mouth? No. Okay, if I didn't speak, God has not spoken. Over this house. Okay, just go and do your work. And that quells it. This is what we will find. It's in the life of Paul. Throughout his life. Really, Paul had a problem because Paul was not really sitting over them, pastoring them. Why Paul was away, they, they finished the Paul before he came back. But you and I, we sit over the house. Are you with me now? And you must watch over the souls of your people, especially people that you know that they are noble people. Anybody wants to contaminate, that's why I say separate the conduct from the person so that you can go behind to know what is behind it. So that you don't get angry with people because they are not really performing. Alright? While you can rebuke them, okay, you still draw them to yourself. But those who are rebellious, you turn them out, shut the door. Okay. And you do it quick. And 
before it gangrenes. But if it has gangrene, as you take them out, you have to call all the people involved, show them the scripture, and tell them this is why I have done this, because this person is working on a future disruption. This is the word of God. Now you have to repent. Now everybody will go on their knees and they will beg God and repent, and the family continues the journey. You will always have rebellious people till the death. Till you, till you leave this world. Are you with me now? You see something with rebellious people is that they always feel that what they are doing is legitimate. Even somebody will say that God told me to. Can you imagine? When we were about to move to this building, before this building was given to us, I planned to employ somebody who had been very loyal, very committed. Okay? And I said, well, when I come back on this street, better employ him so that he will be ministering directly to me. Anywhere I go in the world, he will go with me. Okay? Because he has been doing things like that over the years. That took when I came, God knew that I, was, I took a wrong decision because I took decision over my, because of my heart. The moment I arrived, that Sunday, I finished service, I went to the back to rest, and the person knocked the door. I said, yes, you're coming, coming, coming. And I was going to tell him what God is telling me. The person said, sir, I just uh, want to thank you for how you have been with me. And when they thank you or not, especially like that, you know that the next thing is that God has told me to move on. I, I was now seeing in my heart that, oh my God, I hope this guy is not telling me he's moving on. And the Lord said, he's telling you, he's already told you now. <laughs> I said, but God, but God, he was talking to me. I said, but God, he is the one I expected that he would be the next one to me. And God said that the Lord looks at the heart. The man looks at the face. Listen to him. And he said, and all of us, at the end of it, he said that, well, the Lord had told me to move on. That was December. Uh, yeah, November, end of November, December. So I said, okay, have you discussed with your wife? He said, yes. I said, okay, I want to see you and your wife. All right? Because for him, my passion overrides God's voice. Like, God, you can't do that to me. This one, I won't let him do. Okay? He made a mistake. I will help him. You know, to recognize that this is where his future is. He has stood on the pulpit before to say that God told him where I die is where he will die. The whole church, he told the whole church that God told him this is where he will die. Are you with me now? So now that God has changed his mind? Well, God's intention is what he said. But what he's doing now is not God. He is the one moving away. So when he finished, I just said, well, brother, thank God for you. For me, let me tell you what God told me when I was coming. This is what God has said to me, and this is the job package. This is my intention for it. But then, if you say that God had told you to leave, you know, with me, once you say it, you can't recover it. You can't recover it back. You have to go first. Because you have said it. I told the wife, I want to see you. And the wife was judging me, judging me, judging me. At the end of the month, we did what nice service, everything. And he left. When he left, about two months after, this building came up. You see, there are some people that when God leads you as a minister, you get to the end of a ladder and God is preparing you to move into the higher level, he has to throw some people away. God will kick them away because they are weight. They will not let you fly. But you must not hit them. Because all these people that I'm talking about, when they left, I still meet them on the road. I hug them. I never ask them, where, what is the matter? Why haven't we seen you? No, 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 no. I want them. Even I met some of them in the airport. And they came. He approached, approached, I hugged them, kissed them. And I'm not doing it fake. 
I am happy that they are happy where they are. <laughs> and I am happy where I am. Are you with me now? If I have money, if I have the help, they it, I will give them the help. But that helps to be where they are, they should get the help. Okay, so that they can do what they are doing. You know? And they too, because I don't hate them, I don't pray against them, I don't do anything like that. They came, some of them came to me sometimes, uh, Apostle, we just want to, we, we are coming home to bless our Father. And they gave me some money and I said, well, this is my right to you. Thank you and the Lord will bless the rest of your sons. And I truly bless them. But God showed me. They all came back. They all came back. You see where they came back? We were holding meetings. This is like a dust, a speck of dust. This building is just like a time. It's like somebody who had one bedroom seat and has moved into a 10 acre mansion. That's what I saw. And the people were, you could not number the people. But among the crowd, I saw them. I said, call them for me. That one, come, come, this, come, you. These are my children. Come, come, come. And at that time, all those who are with me, I mean, I can't tell you the level of glory, comfort, and blessing. I just said to the one at home, don't be hostile to your brothers. I have done that before. Okay? But the fact is that even when they come back, they could not be back to the former place they are. Because others who came after them, who have been faithful to the vision, have occupied the position. And you cannot take them out. So they have to start from the beginning. Are you with me now? Because now, is the association of the prodigal son. The father said to the one at home that, all what remains is yours. He didn't say give it to the prodigal son. Understand? He took the prodigal son back. But he has no more inheritance. The father said all the inheritance remaining is for the one who stayed with him. So that's the position where we're going to stop here. I'm sure you have been blessed. Uh-huh. I want us to rest and sleep. I want us to rest and sleep. Yes, come over. All streaming. God bless you all.